Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We are going to be going over the book of Colossians part two. Let's make it fun. Why does the Bible have to be boring in the eyes of the people and the eyes of the world? I don't know who started this thing of like the Bible's this boring book. That's a lie from the devil. The Bible is exciting. The Bible's fun. And so let's make it fun tonight. Let's not make it this boring religious thing where you're sitting there like, oh, when's this going to be done? The word of God is alive. It is active. It is exciting. And God is raising up a culture and a generation that's going to be excited about the word of God. So I hope that by going through verse by verse, we can get you guys excited about the word. We can get you in the word. And this could be your Bible study night. Anybody that says Isaiah doesn't preach the Bible, what are you talking about? I'm I'm literally on a live stream journey right now to preach every single verse in the New Testament on live stream. So let me put this desk up a little bit. So far, we've done the book of Revelation, every verse, the book of Acts, every verse, the book of Romans, every verse, the book of Ephesians, every verse, the book of Philippians, every verse. And we are finishing tonight the book of Colossians part two. It'll be the, the last part in the book of Colossians. And then one day we'll sit here with an entire library for free on YouTube of every single verse preached. And we will be the first person to do it in Jesus name. We're working towards it. It's a lot of work. The, uh, the book of Revelation took like four months to do. So it's going to take a few years, but that is the goal. We're using the new King James version. This book is written by Paul, this letter, I should say around AD 60 to AD 62. The reason, why he wrote, the reason he wrote it is while he was in prison, he heard that there were some Christians in this city that were being influenced by false teaching, kind of like today. And so Paul's bringing it to bring clarity, to bring correction. There's no evidence that Paul ever visited them in person. So he's writing to people he doesn't know in person or he's never met in person. And that's something we'll talk about and touch on tonight. But if you are joining us, Book of Colossians, part two, we are starting in chapter two. Some of the heresies that were being taught, we it's a philosophy called Gnosticism that we taught, we address nowadays in our culture. But back then, there wasn't a lot of language for it. Some of the stuff they were teaching was the spirit is good, but the body, the matter is evil. They also taught you must follow ceremonies, rituals, and restrictions in order to be saved. They also taught that angels must be worshiped. Christ could not be human and divine. They taught that you have to obtain secret knowledge to be perfected or to be saved. You must adhere to human traditions, wisdom, knowledge, and philosophies, and a bunch of other things like combining various religions to to reach enlightenment weird doctrines paul is addressing these doctrines in the book of colossians chapter one recap paul made it very clear to us that jesus was both human and the divine in the same body he also stressed the fact that jesus created everything remember colossians 1 16 in the invisible realm and in the visible realm jesus is creator of all things he's not just like some person on the side that came to the earth he is creator god of all things he's fully man fully god or he was on the earth he is fully god jesus is also paul says in chapter one the head of the body of christ and the by the body of christ i mean the global church so jesus is the head of the global body of christ this is who he is. This is what he does. Now we are going to go into chapter two, hopefully cover chapters two through four. Four is just like a, a goodbye to a bunch of people, which I'll just literally read that on screen with you and we'll talk about that. But chapters two and three, I'm going to break down. We're going to talk about, and some of this will seem repetitive. It's not. Just stay with me. Be excited. Get your highlighter. Get your pen. If you have kids, 
Get them a New King James Version Bible so they can follow along and be make it fun. They can highlight. They can note. I'm trying to do these things on Monday nights where we can all come together as a family and you can make it something. So maybe Monday nights when we, when we do verse by verse, you get pizza, you make it exciting, get some Baskin Robbins for the kids, make it a thing where they're like, hey, Bible study night is exciting, is cool, and it's not lame, it's not boring. Some of you are like, what's up with all the lights and all the, you know, pop-ups and all the little fun things you do? I'm just, you know, trying to reach this next generation and let them know the word of God's not lame. The word of God is powerful and exciting, and I'm excited about it, and I'm unapologetic about it. Why do you talk so fast and so loud? Because I'm excited. You should try it. Okay, chapter two. Open up your Bible. Chapter two, verses one through three. Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. So notice what Paul's saying here. This is what he desires. Their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasure and wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is addressing this issue. You've, you have not seen my face. You have not watched me preach personally. You have not had dinner with me. We don't know each other on a personal level. So it would probably be easier to follow the false teachers that are in your midst that you know, rather than someone like me that you've never met. Now, there's something about meeting somebody connecting with somebody, hearing somebody in person, knowing them, that helps you relate to them and gives you loyalty, gives you trust to them. Like a lot of people, when they meet me, they're like, oh, you're like funny and nice. We thought you were like this angry, mean guy that just yells all the time. And I'm like, hey, and, and maybe if you hear me preach in person, I am definitely more strong when I'm on my lives. I'm a lot more lighthearted because I have more time to expound and extrapolate and talk more. And dude, I have hours and hours when I'm preaching live on an audience, there's an urgency. There's a now there's a certain level of urgency that I preach with. But when I'm here, you could get to know me better. One girl said, I couldn't stand you. I thought you were arrogant. You were loud. You talked fast. And then one day I came into your stream at the end and you were joking and laughing. And I fell in love with the fact that you were like a normal guy, that you were nice, that you were relatable. And now I started watching your things. Now I've, God's opened up my eyes and now I love your content, okay? But in the beginning, she just thought, you're this strong, hard guy. That might be like the tendency that they had towards Paul because Paul's writing these strong letters, but they never met Paul. So when you meet with somebody, there's some relatability that happens when you meet with them. So Paul's saying, listen, I know we haven't met. It's probably easier to follow these guys that you're with, these false teachers you're around and someone that you don't know. But Paul says, I have this immense love for you. That this message Paul's gonna keep sending them is the love that I have for you. And if we all sat down, you'd probably like me. I'd probably really like you. I know we're at a distance. I don't really know you face to face, but I care for you deeply. And I hope you care for me deeply. And you might say, well, how could you love someone and care for someone you don't even know, Isaiah? because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same body. This is the universal truth of the body of Christ that when you get born again, you're born into a new family and Jesus holds us all together as the head of the body. This is the beauty. You could literally be disenfranchised, disconnected. I have no friends and no family that are believers. Type one in the chat if you hear what I'm saying tonight. But when you become a believer, you get grafted in the Bible says to the body of Christ, the family of God, now you're just a part of this global movement where like literally we could hang out and never meet, never know each other and be like best friends in an hour. Why is that possible? It's because we're of the same family. We're of the same blood. We are united in Christ. I love this benefit. 
I love this reality. Now, some people are united in the fact that they love motorcycles. They're united in the fact that they love uh, nice dinners or they love walking on the beach. I don't know. They're united in random, pointless things. We are united in the blood of Jesus as one family, one body, under one God. And it's the beauty of being of the same spirit. It's why I could sit and talk for hours with you guys, whether it's on the live stream or in person, and be like, I feel like I've known you forever. It's because we're of the same spirit. Jesus holding us together. So maybe you didn't know, maybe Paul says, maybe I didn't know you face to face, but my heart breaks for you. And one commentator said this, Paul's desire was they receive full assurance of the mystery that is Jesus, who has all wisdom and all knowledge. Wisdom is the Greek word Sophia, and knowledge is the Greek word Gnosis, together meaning the ability to see truth and then defend the truth with intelligent discussion. So Paul says, I want you to what? See the truth and then defend the truth. Why is that important? Why is it important that I see the truth and I also defend the truth? Because there's people around you that are perverting the truth. And by perverting the truth, they're saying things like, you must be circumcised to be saved. You must be, you must get baptized to be saved. You must adhere, which I'm going to talk about the Sabbath tonight and festivals. You must adhere to the Sabbath and the festivals to be saved. And Paul's like, these are false teachings. These are not ways you get salvation. We're not saved by works that we do. We're saved by grace. So Colossians 2, 4 through 5. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Again, going against the hypocrisy, going against the false teaching. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, which is a very interesting thing he says here. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's addressing this idea of people teaching a work-based salvation or teaching another false doctrine. And the word persuasive in Greek is pithanologia, and it's the only times it's used in all of scripture. It carries the meaning of persuasive speech that is plausible, but false arguments. So it's basically what he's saying by persuasive speech is it sounds good. It's like, oh, that actually sounds right. You're telling me that I have to be, let's just use this as an example, because it's relevant to what they, what they were saying. You're saying that I have to be circumcised to be saved? That sounds about right because before God told his people to be circumcised, it was a part of being in the covenant. And now, you know, that was for the Jews, but now we're Gentiles. And so probably to be saved, we should get circumcised. So it sounds right. It's plausible, but it's a false argument because you don't need to be. That's a works-based salvation. So it's something that sounds good, but you're like, I just don't know. One huge false thing that was constantly being taught was circumcision unto salvation. Sounded good, but it wasn't the case any longer. That had been done away with in the old covenant. Now, when Paul said good order and steadfastness of your faith, most people say it was most likely a military analogy. In the same way, a military force is ordered and strong, so believers should be. So we're called to be ordered, steadfast, passionate, in, you know, in in passion towards the things of God with urgency and not just randomly serving God, not just all over the place, not out of order, not randomly at war against the enemy or the things of the, the philosophies of this world, but we come against persuasive speech. We stand together like a strong military unit in order, going against the things that God says are wrong and standing up for things that God says are right. Now, when you look at the American church, do you see order and steadfastness do you see a military in order going against the gates of hell against philosophies of this world or 
do you see a bunch of people that lay down, a bunch of people that sit down, and a bunch of people that are not in order, not fighting against the kingdom of darkness or vain theologies, philosophies, and ideologies? I don't see an army. Like, when I look at the American church, I'm not like, oh, wow, look at this army that God is raising up. I kind of see a bunch of people that are arguing and debating worthless things and they're kind of just Sunday morning, church warming, pew warming, check-in, check-out, part-time, just very malnourished Christianity, very plastic, very just touch-and-go, in-and-out burgers type of McDonald's Christians where it's like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Don't take God to be a big deal. Oh, you believe in laying hands on the sick and casting out demons? You're a weirdo. Like, that's just, I don't, I don't see a military. I don't look at the church and be like, that's an army. Like, they're strong. I see a lot of spectating happening in the church, and I pray by the grace of God that we would rise up as an army. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. And then what else? Walk in him, rooted. This is Colossians chapter 2, 6, uh, verses 6 through 7. Rooted and built up, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, astounding in it, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So he says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This is Paul's commissioning to us. If you're not rooted, very important. This is what I want to talk about. If you're not rooted properly, when storms come, you will be uprooted and blown away. Now, some of you are Christians until the storm comes when you're uprooted and blown away. This is the number one reason why people leave the faith. Their roots are shallow. Their roots are shallow. Their roots do not go down deep. You can have a massive tree, a beautiful tree, a strong tree, a tree that's there for many, many years. And you're like, that tree would never, ever go anywhere. That person's solid for foundation. The moment a strong storm comes, the tree's uplifted. I have seen massive trees, massive trees that have been there for 50 years uprooted during storms because they did not have deep roots. If a tree has deep enough roots, it cannot be uprooted uprooted when its roots are deep it doesn't matter how big the storm is doesn't matter if you get blown left and right you remain in the storm the storm is what tests the roots some of you are like i have strong roots but you just haven't ever been in a storm and i want to be solid when the storm comes when the storms of life when the storms of false teaching when the storms of confusion come when the enemy comes like a flood which he will i want to have those deep deep roots when the hurricane comes you can be massive and impressive but you need to have deep roots. Jesus describes this in Luke chapter eight, types of soil. He says, there's four types of soil. I'll go over them quick. The first soil is the footpath. When the, the seed lands on the footpath, the bird comes, who later Jesus tells us is the devil and steals the word and prevents them from believing, hearing, or being saved. The second type of soil was the rocky ground. And this is the one that doesn't get deep and healthy roots. So when the storm comes, they blow away because they have no deep roots. When the trials come, the persecution comes. The third one is the thorns. The Bible says that the, the seed falls on the thorns, but the riches, cares, and pleasures of life choke out the seed. Not sin, riches, cares, and the pleasures of life. Distract it. They choke it out. It doesn't grow. It kills revival because we're so distracted by the things of this world. And then the fourth thing is the good soil. That's 25% of the people he's talking to here. One fourth, 25% is the good soil. And with patience, they produce fruit. Jesus says, okay, and they go, what do you mean, Jesus, soils and seeds and fruit and falling and, and roots? What is all this? He goes, these are people. These represent people. The seed is the gospel message and the soil is types of people. I want to be, there's really only one type of soil you want to be. That's the good soil. 
And it's the storm that produces the testing that shows where you're at. Some build on sand, some build on rock, some roots go shallow. So here's the question. Do you have deep roots? Have you built your foundation deep on deep roots? Well, Isaiah, I don't know how to have deeper roots. I'm going to give you five quick ways to grow deep roots and type in the chat. I want deep roots. I'm telling you, this is not cliche. You won't survive without this. We are coming, trust me, into great storms in America. The storms will continue. And unless you have deep roots, you won't survive. Number one, reading the Bible. Ding, ding, ding. Without reading the Bible, you have shallow roots. If you look back on the last week and you didn't barely read your Bible, the last month you didn't barely read your Bible, the last year you didn't barely read your Bible, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't need a storm, you have you have shallow roots. Your roots don't go deep. You gotta have deep roots. Again, the outside doesn't matter, it's beneath the surface is there deep roots. Number one, you need to start reading the Bible. There's no getting around it. Just get up and do it. Get off of Instagram, get off of TikTok, get off of Facebook, get off of Hulu, get off of Netflix, get off of YouTube. Whatever you have to do to get off of, to get into, get off and get into the word of God. Number two is you, and I'm going to be so practical because I want to preach stuff you could actually do. Number two is you need to actually pray. Wow, that's a revelation. You need to pray every single day. Pray every single day. It's not enough to go to prayer meetings. You need to have a prayer lifestyle. There should not be a day that goes by where you don't at least spend some time in prayer. Get with God in the secret place. Pray, get in the word. That's number two. Number three is you need to memorize scripture. If you want deep roots, you need to be able to say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You need to memorize the Bible. Get in the word of God. Let the word of God get in you and start memorizing the scripture. That's number three. Number four, is you need to fellowship with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. If you want deep roots, you cannot be a lone ranger out there in the middle of nowhere doing your own thing. You need to get around some people. Jesus sent them out two by two for a reason. The devil attacks those that isolate themselves. You need to get around some people that love the Lord. Fellowship with other believers. I don't care if you have to do that virtually, if you have to do that in the church, if you have to do that at Starbucks in your house. I don't care where you have to do it. Get together with other believers. Number five you want deep roots? Start ministering. Share your faith. Talk to other people about God. Pray for the sick. Cast out devils. Feed the poor. Do something. I don't care what you do. Just don't do nothing. Do something to share your faith. And the reason why I say this is when you minister to others, type one in the chat if you know what I'm saying. Oftentimes you get ministered to more than when you minister to others. Like when you cast demons out of somebody, usually it blesses you more than them. When you lay hands on the sick and God heals them or you pray for somebody or you disciple somebody or you feed the poor, it feels like you're getting ministered to more than even they are. So these are necessary things, five things practical in literally two minutes. If you want to get deep roots, you need to do these things to get deeper roots. Colossians chapter two, verse eight. And we got to get through two chapters and then read chapter four. So I'm not going to go an hour on a chapter like I did last week. Beware. Oh, this is getting serious here. What do we got to beware of, Paul? Beware lest anyone cheat you through, how are they going to cheat me? Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Wow, this is good stuff. So he says, by cheat, Paul is saying, they're going to rob you of the real thing because they're offering you a counterfeit, empty Christianity, an empty philosophy, an empty deceit, traditions of men. So be careful when you do the things the world says to do in order to get ahead. These things are not done according to Christ. So 
Don't follow the things based according to the basic principles of the world. Follow the things according to Christ. What do you mean? The basic basic principles of this world to ignore God. This is I'm going to teach you guys. Okay, we are in now. I'm going to take you into a secular college where I'm going to be teaching you American 101, the American dream. Are you ready? I'm going to teach you the American dream 101. This is what the world teaches, the culture teaches, and traditions of men teach. Ignore God. Go to college. Which again, nothing wrong with going to college, but this is what they teach. Go to college, make good money, have a nice family, have a good career, and maybe when you're 40 and bored, go to church and be babysat by some pastor. Live a completely empty life, strive for mammon, chase money, chase women, chase having more kids and having a better family and climbing corporate america i mean now honestly they don't even let me rephrase it 2022 they don't even teach have kids ladies you don't need to have kids just climb corporate america you could be just like the men you could be just as successful you don't need men to tell you what to do you don't need to do the most beautiful thing ever and have a child and give birth you could just now climb corporate america feminine feminism is the way ignore god god is lame God isn't, God isn't fun. God is so old. I mean, it's 2022. Who needs the sky daddy anyway? This is what the culture teaches your kids. Go to college, get brainwashed by some, some teacher that doesn't know what they are, whether a male, female, or an animal. They can teach you all about women's rights. They can teach you all about your choice. You're this, your body, you're this. They can teach you all about this woke agenda. Shove it down your throat. Convince you there is no God. Convince you that you came from a monkey. Convince you you came from some big bang. Convince you that you came from some puddle somewhere and you evolved, even though it's not distinguishable, even though it's not observable, even though there's zero evidence of evolution, zero evidence that you came from a monkey. There's still monkeys at the zoo. So how in the world did you even come from a monkey? And we're going to do all this stuff. And then maybe when you're 40, go to some progressive church, you know, and just kind of ignore God. That is the, that's what, that's, what human philosophy and the principles of this world that's according that's and that my friends is the basic principles of this world it gets much worse that's basic what they're being taught in the colleges and at school again not against college not against school what i am against is the demonic american dream that says you have to go to college you have to make 40 50 dollars a year you have to get married have kids and then ignore god your entire life and then maybe one day go to church some boring lame church where you don't do anything for god that is not according to christ that's according to the basic principles of this world and it's a completely empty life it is empty because it's according to the traditions of men. The world, they're preaching this to you. And then I'm, and they just leave God out of it. Leave him out of your life. Ignore God. And then I come on here for like two hours, four hours, six hours a week, begging you to serve God. And you can't even stay on. You're like, your attention spends so obliterated by the culture. I have to like beg you to stay on. It's like, oh, it's been five minutes. I'm bored. And I talk super fast and super loud to try to keep your attention because I'm passionate about it. And then people still are like, I don't really know. And we have Christians out here attacking Christians. Like we're the only ones that celebrate friendly fire. I mean, imagine you're at war and you're, you, you have a disagreement with someone's theology and you're like, oh, I don't really like the way you think about deliverance or miracles or you teach the Bible and you just pick up your rifle and you shoot your own. It's like, who, no one would do that because you disagree with one thing that's not even salvific. That's the church. So we're over here fighting each other, doing nothing, arguing on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. It's so lame and cringe and immature. And the world is teaching our kids to disobey God and to be an animal if they want to, identify as a toothpaste. 
who can do whatever you want. You can identify as Cool Ranch Doritos, all whatever you think. And then the church is fighting over here, and I'm like, I feel like I'm just right there in the middle being like, what? This is the basic principles of the world we need to get back to getting together in unity, preaching the word of God. If somebody's teaching a heretic, uh, a heretical gospel saying like Jesus didn't rise, Jesus didn't die, then go ahead and attack them. But we can't be attacking people on secondary issues when the world is doing a good job at brainwashing people. We don't need to be friendly firing on each other. The world, here's my point. The world is preaching to you strong, okay? And we need preachers that are even stronger preaching the true gospel Life is not empty. Life is not meaningless. Life is not random. So here's Paul is saying, okay, so don't, don't let them cheat you. Don't let them rob you of the, through their, through their philosophies and empty deceit according to the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world, but not according to Christ. So, but Paul, can you elaborate? And he goes, I will. Now he goes, we're in chapter two, verses nine through 10. Now he's going to describe that's empty. What I just described Colossians chapter two, verses nine through 10. For in him, capital H, come on, look it in the Bible. For in him dwells all the fullness of the God, Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So very, very interesting because it sounds like this is random. It's not random. It's not a random place to put it. The world offers empty philosophies, empty ideas, empty traditions, and then guess what happens because of that? You end up empty, but capital H shows up. Him and in capital H Jesus, am I helping anybody type something? Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. You're, that's the only place you're complete. You are not complete in any other place but in Christ. So that means you will always have something broken and missing without him. Doesn't matter what religion, doesn't matter how successful, go ask a celebrity. They're still empty. They're still broken. They're still hurting because it is only in who? Type it, capital H, him, that the fullness dwells. Only Jesus is enough because he's completely God and offers abundant life. Jesus offers us fullness. Oh, I love this. Look at this. Have you seen this before? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does fullness mean? Fullness mean? It's lacking nothing. Fullness means, I've never even noticed this till I just was researching this. Fullness means there's no empty space. So where do I get fullness? Because I know that I'm born with a void. I know that I remember being an atheist, which again, I, I want to be clear when I do that because I don't think I was ever really an atheist. It's just I thought I was. I would lay in bed like every atheist or agnostic or person that's never had an encounter or denies God. I would lay in bed at night. Everyone's done this like literally pretty much everybody. And I looked up going, there has to be more to life. This cannot be it. Going and becoming a police officer, getting married, buying a house, doing this, partying, drinking, whatever. This can't be it. This can't be all there is. Something in me, that was the emptiness in me crying out, knowing there's something more. So everybody has that emptiness. Doesn't matter who you are. You could deny every single person has it if they don't have God. But then Jesus comes and in the fullness in the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus. And, and guess what happens? That whole fullness dwells in us and we dwell in him. So he's in us, but I'm also in him complete. You're not, you are not, and I'm gonna go slow and say this carefully. You are not complete in any other place but in him. 
He's the only place you're going to be complete. So you can chase the job career. And if you feel empty right now, you need Christ. That's the broken missing piece. You're trying to shove drinking, partying. You have this void and you're trying to shove everything in it. But guess what, friend? Nothing fits. Nothing's going to make you full. The God-sized whole, the fullness of Christ, fullness of Christ. This is what Paul is saying. In him dwells all the fullness. But he goes, so in him dwells, but you're also complete in him. So it's like two things. It's like in him that dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, but you are complete in Christ and that fullness dwells in you. Who is Christ? Who is the head of all principality and power? Ain't nobody above him. That's what he's saying. Ain't nobody above Christ. I know ain't's not a word, but I'm going to use it. There's no one above him. He's the highest rank. Every principality, every power. Like, oh, look how strong the devil and those demons are. Weak, weak sauce, lame, L, walking L. The devil's a walking L. Come on, where are my young people at? L, devil. He's a loser. W, Jesus. Jesus is above all of that. He's way above. And, and Paul says this over and over again in, in, throughout his letters. But Jesus is the head of the principalities and powers. So they're just like completely weak compared to him. Only Jesus is enough. Jesus, who is fully God. And how do we fully know this? Because he's already told us. But also, Mark 2, 1, Jesus forgives sins. John 5, 23, Jesus receives worship as God. Luke 1, 76, Jesus claimed to be God. Matthew 26, 63, he was given the title of deity. All these lame preachers out here, like, Jesus never claimed to be God. First of all, you're taking advice from TikTok theologians. There's a reason why they don't have a local church. There's a reason why they don't know what they're talking about. There's a reason why they look the way they look and they talk the way they talk. Because they're completely going against all the orthodoxies of the faith. So do not get your theology on guys on TikTok that have never, ever, ever been submitted to any pastor, have never done any formal training, never done anything. They just make TikTok videos. And that's the scary thing about culture right now is random, nobody, people that don't know nothing about the gospel, nothing about theology can get on there and say, Jesus never claimed to be divine. Jesus, we don't know if Jesus was male or female. What are you talking about? Get out of here with that. We don't know. You know, Jesus could have been female. Who knows? We do know. Just because you don't know doesn't mean we don't know. Just because a spirit of confusion speaking out of you doesn't mean we don't know. There's a lot of these people out here propagating this mess of Jesus wasn't divine. Jesus wasn't fully God. Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He accepted worship as God. He forgave sins. He had the title of deity in Matthew, and he did claim to be God in Luke. So we have to break out of these. Really, you shouldn't be getting any theology off of TikTok. I mean, seriously now, you need to be getting your theology out of the word of God. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In him, you were also, oh man, I love this. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry, but not sorry. I'm going to get real excited about this because this, we're getting into the good news, the gospel here, and this, nothing excites me more than the stuff I'm about to talk about. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay. I'm going to make this very simple for you too, by the way, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay. Again, we're going against the notion that Gentiles need to be physically circumcised. Paul says you are circumcised, but you're circumcised in the circumcision made without hands. And this is how you're circumcised by putting off the sins of the flesh. Let me say it again putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. You are circumcised. Okay, so you're circumcised, but the circumcision is of without hands. This is how you're circumcised. There's a cutting away of the flesh and the sins. You're also buried with Christ. And where does that take place? In baptism. 
Baptism is an act of an inner commitment. It's going down into the waters of symbolic spiritual burial and then being raised up as a symbol of new life in Christ. There's two, there's many, but I'm going to give you two interesting analogies the Bible draws with baptism. Number one is the Bible draws this analogy of God flooding the earth in Noah's day. God flooding all the wicked, killing all the wicked, evil people with the waters and the floods. And the same way he likens baptism where that old wicked man dies. God floods that old man and that man dies. That's one that it's interesting. Noah's day. And then two was the crossing of the Red Sea. Y'all remember this? The children of Israel are going across the Red Sea. The, the Philistines, I'm not the Philistines, the Egyptians were chasing after them and God drowns the Egyptians and baptism, the Bible likens unto the crossing of the Red Sea, where God drowns that evil, wicked man, that Egyptian man that's living in you, and you come out of the Red Sea without the Egyptians following you, without that old man chasing you, uh, your taskmaster master is gone. So there's a lot of conclusions we can draw from the, the comparisons that baptism draws from Noah's day and also from the Red Sea crossing. There's a lot of other, but Paul says we have been buried in baptism, okay? And... We've been raised with him through faith. One commentator said circumcision was originally the outward evidence of a man's obedience to God's covenant. People then didn't understand that there was also a hygienic reason that God gave them the practice. It's more hygienic physically to be circumcised. That's the bottom line. Doctor will tell you that. Today, Christians can still have their male babies circumcised, not because of the old covenant, but because science recognized there is a physical benefit from it. So it wasn't just a physical thing of like circumcision. It was cleaner and it also represented that we are in covenant with god but now that we're in the new covenant we don't need a physical circumcision to tie us to god although you can be circumcised because it is cleaner and it is healthier but now there is a circumcision without hands no hands needed god circumcises you so praise the lord because otherwise if you got saved and you were 45 years old and you were not circumcised well guess what you got to go make an appointment and get circumcised because if not you weren't considered clean and I'm glad and you should be glad that the old covenant has been done away with. And there's a greater covenant where there's a circumcision without hands. And if you are a male and you're older and you're not circumcised, be glad that we are in a new covenant of circumcision without hands where God cuts away our sin. And it's a spiritual thing. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you, so Paul's talking to us again. I got to go. I got to go here. Being dead in your trespasses. Wow. Let me say that again. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped off out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way and, and nailed it to the cross. So before you were saved and everyone who's not saved, this is how the Bible describes you, dead in your sin. Spiritually speaking, this is your default. You are dead spiritually. Remember, death physically is when a spirit and soul is separated from the body. Death spiritually is when a man is separated from God. When your spirit, your soul is separated from God. That's what spiritual death is. Now, so you were that, thank you Lord that we're not any longer. Now he's made you together alive in him. Not just that, it gets so much better. I don't think you realize how good this is. If you did, you might actually share this with somebody, like share your faith with somebody. Now you're raised alive together in him, forgiven your trespasses and Wait, what? How could he get better? Oh, it gets better. Wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Look at this. This commentator says, specifically, it's defined as a note written by the hand, which one, which one was obligated to fulfill what was written. 
Sin creates a list of debts to God saying, I'm in debt to you because you have every right to punish me for my sins. Jesus's death prevents that from happening because he pays the price of sin in every heart. There's a conscience that says, I sign my name, my autograph to a list of my sins and I know I'm guilty. Paul says the list is wiped out by Jesus's death. That's what he's talking about when he says a handwritten requirement against us. Jesus says, yeah, you owe me this. You deserve death. The way you could pay the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But I'm going to wipe that away on the cross. This is absolutely incredible news. And my question to you is, why don't you tell anyone? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude here, legalistic, works-based. But like, if this is absolutely crazy to read this, like, wait, God did this for me? He wiped out the debt? He forgave my trespasses? Are you, or is anyone else having like a light bulb on moment? The handwritten note against me is gone, but I don't tell anybody about this. Like, how is it? So how is that? How is that? This can't be, this can't be that this is so, so, so good. Yet I've spent my entire life never telling anybody about it. We have, we have to shop this from the rooftops. Tell somebody, tell If you have to tell your cat, tell your cat, tell somebody. And, and then it's like, that's amazing. We could just end now. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Colossians 2, 15 through 70. I got to go way quicker than I'm going. Having disarmed, look at this, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumph, triumphing over them. I can't even say that word. In it. Triumphing over them in it. So let no one, you got to pay attention here. Let no one judge you in food or in drink. Or... Some of you are going to get mad. I'm just going to warn you. Some of you will get mad on what Paul's about to say. I'm going to repeat it and go deep, deeper. But just, I just want you to stay on even though you're mad. Okay, so let no one judge you in food or drink. So two things you shouldn't be judged on is what you eat and what you drink. And it's not talking about alcohol. It's talking about saying you can't drink or eat certain things like pork or shrimp. Or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Okay, let me break this down. Jesus's death removed Satan's ability to keep us in bondage to our sin. Jesus disarmed or stripped these evil spirits of their power to keep us captive to sin. These principalities, he disarmed them. Before, we couldn't get out of our sin. We were in the sin. Now he's disarmed them. Okay, and in those days, a victorious military leader would parade the streets with the conquered king and his people following him. Okay, he would capture him drag him around the streets and make a public spectacle of him. This is what Jesus essentially did to the principalities and powers that kept us in bondage. He openly defeated these spirits on the cross. We no longer have to obey these evil desires. We're no longer a slave to sin. Okay. So he did all that incredible disarm them. They're, they're disarmed. If someone breaks into your house and they're now disarmed, they have no power against you. Their weapons gone. Jesus disarmed the strong man here. Then he says, let no one judge you in food or drink. So now people say, oh, well, you can't eat pork because the old covenant. Well, guess what? We are not in the old covenant. So give me some pork. Give me some shrimp. Give me some lobster. All the stuff the old covenant said was unclean. Jesus says, do not call unclean what I call clean. This is why Peter had the vision of the pig and the animals that were unclean. Get up and eat, Peter. They're not unclean any longer. We're not in the old covenant anymore. You can go ahead and have bacon. You can go ahead and have shrimp. That's old covenant religion. Don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink, okay? Okay. Because there was a lot of stuff you couldn't eat or drink in the old covenant. 
Don't call unclean what I call clean. And then he says, and this is what it will make you mad. We can still be friends. If you get mad at me right here, please go read the text. Go study the scripture. Don't get mad at me. This is what I've come to the conclusion of. And you can come up with a different conclusion. You're not in sin. I'm not. I'm just going to tell you what Paul says. Festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Now, there's a lot of Christians that teach you got to have all these Jewish festivals. Do this festival. Do this festival. Do this festival. This new moon ceremony. This Sabbath. Make sure you honor the Sabbath. Make sure... Paul says, uh, don't let anyone judge you for not doing these things. Why? Because these were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So the moons and ceremonies and festivals were all a shadow of Christ. They were a representation of Christ coming. Now Christ, and people are still in the chat saying like, don't eat pork, okay? We're not going into it. But now the substance is Christ. They all pointed to a greater reality. And the greater reality is we don't have to have them anymore because now Christ is here. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. One man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul says, one is not wrong and one is not right. If you hold a Sabbath and say, the Sabbath is more holy, this is the day I put apart. Paul says, and the other man says, every day is the same. Each man, let him be fully convinced in his mind. You're not wrong and you're not right. I'm not wrong and I'm not right. Do not let anybody judge you and hold it against you. Now, this is a fact I'm going to give you right here. Interestingly enough, the only commandment, I'm going to say this slowly, of the Ten Commandments that Jesus did not echo and repeat us to have to live by is keeping of the Sabbath. There is a commandment that says we should keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus does not come and reiterate that commandment. But the other nine, he does. So the reason why we keep the Ten Commandments is because Jesus, nine of them, he reiterates. One of them, he doesn't. Why? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the New Testament Sabbath and our rest is no longer found in a day. Our rest is found in him. That's the thing. The Sabbath was a shadow, Paul says. It was pointing to a greater reality, which is Jesus. Jesus has come. He's now our Sabbath. This is why the Pharisees said, why aren't your disciples keeping the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. The rest is found in me. That's the facts. Now, with that being said, you can keep a Sabbath and you can, you're not in sin if you hold a Sabbath. Praise the Lord. It's great. But don't judge, Paul is saying, don't let anybody judge you for not keeping a Sabbath and don't judge others because then you are in sin. You are in sin if you're judging others saying, you need to keep a Sabbath. You need to make sure you don't eat pork and don't eat bacon. If you don't eat pork, praise the Lord, you're probably way healthier than people that do. If you don't eat uh, whatever else, then great, live that way. And if you keep a Sabbath, keep your Sabbath. Don't listen, don't not keep it anymore. You're not in sin for keeping it, but don't try to tell people that if they don't keep it, they're unholy or less than. And don't try to tell people and judge people saying you need to keep a Sabbath because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not say to keep a Sabbath. So you're telling us something Jesus didn't tell us. This is what Paul is saying. You can go read this. Is it okay to go to work on Sunday? Yes, it is. Absolutely. If you think it's unholy to go to work on Saturday or Sunday, then you don't know the new covenant. You haven't fully understood the new covenant. Colossians 2.18, verses 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Okay, so now Paul's going to connect that to this. Don't let, don't let him cheat you. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his own fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from all of the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that is from God. So they were teaching people should worship angels. They were teaching Jesus was a glorified angel. 
and they were taking delight in false humility. Paul says, don't do that. We don't worship angels. We don't pray to angels. Absolutely false doctrine there. Colossians 2, 20 through 22. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Uh-oh. Now again, you're going to get mad at Paul. Don't get mad at me. So he says, why do you subject yourselves to regulations? And then he quotes this. This is what the people were saying. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. What were they talking about? Unclean meat. Unclean things. Some of you in the chat are still like, we shouldn't eat pork. Okay, this is what Paul's talking to you right now. Okay, you, why do you do this? He says, which all concern things which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These are not the doctrines of God. These regulations you subject yourself to, Paul says. Why are you doing this? You died with Christ. You don't, these don't apply to you any longer. He's again, addressing this idea that your good pious works can save you. If I'm better, if I do this, if I live like this, I could now attain something you don't have. And it takes the attention off of what Christ did and puts it on what I can do. And the reality is nothing you can do can save you. Nothing you can do can save you. And someone said, can Christians eat pork? Yes, that's the thing. Nothing you can do can save you. Only the finished work of Jesus saves us. So we have to get out of this pious, false humility of I'm better than you because I don't eat pork because the Old Testament said don't eat pork. But guys, again, I, I, I pity you if you're living in the Old Testament still. I pity you if you're still living in this Old Covenant, Old Testament, have to do this, have to do this, all these rules and regulations because this Old Covenant, the Bible says, is terrible compared to the New Covenant. Colossians 2.23. These things, and then look at what Paul says. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. But what does Paul say at the end? Are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you think by like honoring a Sabbath or by example, being circumcised or by not eating pork, I'm just using an example of what they were doing, or of these pious things. Paul calls them self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body because you're depriving yourself of whatever you think you're depriving yourself of. He says these things, I hate to say this, are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And again, as you're getting mad tonight, do not get mad at me. I'm just literally quoting what Paul said. Do not get mad at me. Get, get mad at Paul, please. Okay, go and follow him, not me, because I'm repeating what he said. They are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You can't like not eat your way into dis discipline. Colossians 3. Okay, so now we're going into Colossians 3. We jump right in. They're of no value. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So seeking those things are, that are above now, these are things connected to setting your mind on heavenly things. So now I'm no longer going after earthly things. I'm going after heavenly things. I'm looking to a heavenly reward. I'm no longer working for just earthly rewards. Jesus told us this, avoid storing up treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy them and thieves steal. That's Matthew 6, 19. But he says in Matthew 6, 20, instead store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal. The treasures of heaven are eternal treasures. That's what we need to store up. So don't spend your life storing up money, houses, possessions, temporary things. You cannot take those to heaven, but you can take heavenly rewards that you're going to have forever. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said, if anyone gives up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for his sake, you'll receive a hundred times as much in return. 
So a hundredfold, if you give up these things for Christ's sake, you'll get a hundredfold those things in heaven. So we need to set our mind on heavenly things, look to heavenly rewards, and work towards heavenly rewards. Not to gain us salvation, but to gain us heavenly rewards in heaven. So if someone wrongs you, now again, I'm looking not only at heavenly rewards, but I'm looking my mind on things above. What does that mean, mind on things above? From a heavenly perspective. So if somebody wrongs me, I come at them not with vengeance, but forgiveness, because I'm looking through what? A heavenly perspective. Colossians 3, 3 through 4. For you died. Wow. Hold on. Let me say that again. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Just highlight those three words. And if you don't get anything tonight, which I, it's such a weird thing to say, because of course you get something, but it's like preachers like to say it to sound, to sound like what they're about to say is important. Okay. But if you don't get anything tonight, get, get these three words and highlight them in your Bible. For you died. Dead people can't offend, be offended. Dead people don't have worldly desires. Dead people don't stress or have cares. Dead people don't gossip. Dead people don't hate people. Dead people don't complain. Dead people aren't bitter. For you died. I'm telling you right now, if you just get those three words, your whole life will change. Because your little selfish attitude problem, where you're always throwing a fit, everybody hates me and nobody, and I don't know, and you think everyone's out to get you and you have a persecution complex and everyone's against you and nobody thinks you're, okay, for you died. For many of you in the chat, your issue is you. There's too much, too much of you left. My issues are there's too much of Isaiah left. And you're supposed to be dead. That's the bottom line. And you say, well, I mean, physically I'm alive. And that's true. And you're, the next sentence is, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you're dead. Well, I'm, I mean, it's like, you're like, well, I'm not really dead, Isaiah. And you're right. So where, where is my life now? Hidden with Christ in God. So what does hidden mean? They don't see you. They don't see you. They see Christ. Because you are dead. Isaiah Saldivar, dead. New life, hidden in Christ. So if I look to Isaiah, he's dead. But if I try to find him, he's hidden in Christ. I can't find him. All I see is Christ. All I see is Christ. That's the Christian life we're trying to get to. And Paul's going to tell us in a bit here, so don't click off. How do we get to that? How do we get to that? You're dead. Your new life is hidden in Christ. And when, our, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. When Jesus returns, yes, you will be on a white horse with white robes, returning to Christ to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Go watch my end times videos. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. Hidden. God is hidden our life in him. Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, okay, so let me be clear on this because I don't want you in here. Oh, you're teaching works-based salvation, brother. Go cry somewhere else. Okay, if you're going to be in my chat crying about Isaiah teaches works-based salvation, I've already said a million times, it's not about works. It's not about works. But we have some lazy Christians that want to come in the chat and cry about how it's not about works. If I looked at the American church, the problem in the American church is not that we work too hard. So stop crying about how, oh, you're preaching works. The problem in the American church is we are lazy. That's the problem is laziness. So I don't know where we're getting off thinking churches are out here preaching works. Trust me, no churches I know are preaching works. A bunch of churches I know are preaching best life now, laziness. We need we need some more works. And go tell them I said that. Okay, for all you, uh, you know, second, what do, what would I call you? You're, you are undercover agents for the heresy hunters. You come in here, you get them content, and they say, thanks to so-and-so for getting me this content. All of you go back and tell them, I said works matter and we need more works. Go tell them Isaiah Salver said Because look at what Paul says here. Therefore, and this is Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, now he's talking to you, put to death your members which are on earth. 
And he's going to tell us, what, what do you mean? What are my members on earth that I need to put to death? God's not going to put it to death for you. God's not going to make you put it to death. You need to do this. So what do I need to put to death? It's going to get hot in here. Ready? Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covet covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the things he just mentioned, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves walks, walked when you lived in them. Okay, so Paul says, here's how you die with Christ. Because you saw the title, how do I die? How to be dying in Christ? How to die? I don't even know what the title is. Something about dying in Christ. Here's how you do it. Very practical. Very practical. This is very real. Here's how you do it. This is what it looks like to be dead. It's not just, oh, Jesus builds a treehouse in my heart. Jesus come into my life by faith. I'm saved now. He goes, here's the practical way that you die in Christ. You put them to death. Christ doesn't automatically do it. It's not automatic. What are the things? Fornication. That is, I'm going to tell you because you're like, I don't know what that means, brother. I'll tell you right now. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. If you have sex with anyone outside of marriage, you are a fornicator and you're fornicating. And guess what? Fornicators don't inherit the kingdom of God. So please, teenagers, listen. Young people that are trying to, I'm just experimenting. No, you're not. You're fornicating. Oh, it's just a little bit of sin. It's not sin. It's for, it's not just a little bit of sin. It's fornication. And you, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So let me be very clear. Parents are going to love me for saying this. Fornicating is sex outside of marriage. Uncleanliness. This is having a tainted character because of sin. This is living in immoral sin. Your character is tainted. You're constantly in sin. Passion. This is uncontrolled lust. In this context, it refers to sexual nature, but could also refer to overwhelming passions like overeating. A passion, an overwhelming, uncontrolled desire and lust to do something you shouldn't do. Evil desire. This is what we're putting away tonight. Evil desire. These are thoughts that precede lust. Okay, these thoughts should be controlled and they're not sinful until they're given free reign to be willed out. So evil desires, things you shouldn't be doing. You desire evil. Covetousness. That's wanting anything that God doesn't give you. If God is not blessing you or giving you something and you want it, you're coveting. Okay, you're like, oh, I really wish I was married to that person. I really wish I was had that job that guy has. I wish God would give me that. And you're, you're coveting that. That's covetousness. It's basically greed, which is idolatry because it's making other things more important than God. Now, those things I just mentioned, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming upon them. The wrath of God is coming upon them and the sons of disobedience. So wrath is coming. If you are a fornicator and you say, well, I haven't been judged, brother. I'm fine. God hasn't done anything. I'm sleeping around. We're going we're gonna to get married in a year or two. Don't worry. It'll all be fine. I pray to God that you make it in time because the wrath of God is on the way. Like if you look at, if you order something on Amazon and you track it and it says out for delivery, that's the wrath of God. When you're fornicating and you check where's God's wrath, out, it's out for delivery. It's on the way. Your DoorDash is on the way. They've picked up the order. It's coming. Well, it's not here yet. Well, it's coming. I'm just going to do it a few more times before the wrath of God gets here. It's coming. It's on its way. And it's coming upon who? Not just my fornication, but on the sons of disobedience who, who Paul says, you used to walk in these things. So just because God hasn't poured out wrath doesn't mean the world's escaping it. 
You're like, well, God must not be real because he would have judged all these evil, wicked people that are killing babies and doing these things and teaching kids they can be whatever they want. And, all, and these groomers and these companies like Balenciaga, which I will talk about. I've just been sick. And these all these companies that groom in this. We've been warning you guys about this Disney and all this and their woke agenda. Oh, oh, trust me. Oh, trust me. It's on the way. The wrath of God is coming. And I pray the fear of the Lord hits you. Some of you are like, Lord, forgive me right now. I, I pray that's the effect this has because it's coming. Don't worry. The justice of God will not be mocked. Every, listen to me chat, and I, I have chills when I say this. It's, the, I, it's real. Every single drop of every single aborted baby, every drop of blood, every drop of blood, 70 plus million babies since 1973, over a billion babies worldwide since 1922 have been aborted. Every single drop of blood of these aborted babies cries out to God. And every single drop of blood, will, there will be vengeance, says mine. Is mine, says the Lord. God will avenge the blood of these babies. Trust. Trust. God will avenge the blood of every single baby. And if you don't believe me, go open up to the book of Revelation and watch as the judgment of God is poured out like man has never seen before on the earth. Why is God pouring out so strong and so hard on the earth and killing everybody with fire and allowing all these plagues? Because for hundreds of thousands of years, child sacrifice has been totally fine, totally okay. Like it's no big deal. And God says, oh, trust me, the wrath of God is coming. So I know I'm getting very serious with it. Put it off. Put it off because God's judgment will come. It will come. These babies will be avenged. The martyrs that cry out under the altar. Lord, when is the time? God says, not yet. There's martyrs under the altar right now saying, Lord, when will you avenge us? Our blood. They, they murdered us. They tortured us for being Christian. The millions of Christians that have been murdered in the earth. And as these Christians are being murdered, you're going like, why doesn't God do something about it? If God was real, he'd rescue them. Oh, trust me, it's coming. Oh, trust me, it's coming. You don't think the wrath of God is coming? You don't think the martyrs who cry out, avenge our blood? There will be an answer in Revelation. God answers with fire. And God does rain down judgment. An unspeakable, horrific, billions of people will die in the tribulation. And that will be, friend, the stored up judgment of God on humanity for their wickedness. So right now as I speak, these companies, these people that are out here doing all this garbage, these sex traffickers, these baby killers that call themselves doctors, they are storing up unprecedented wrath that will be poured out so strong, the world has never seen anything like it before. And this is how bad it's going to be. The Bible says they will look for death, cry out, let us die, please, with boils and burns busting out of their body. And they will look to the mountains and say, save us fall on us they're going to tell the mountains fall on us who could escape the wrath of the lamb and the one to come please crush us and the bible says god will not allow them to find death for five months as they're tortured by locust type half men half locust demon possessed millions of demon possessed locusts will bombard earth and torture mankind and no one will die for five months you don't think god's judging abortion there you don't think the wrath of God is being poured out. The bowls of wrath are being poured out right now. They are storing up wrath. This is what Paul is saying. I know I went deep on it. Get rid of these things. Covetous, evil desires, passions, fornication, and cleanliness. Because the wrath of God is coming. It, it, oh yeah, it is coming. God is, no, God is no joke. You think God could be mocked? You think God's all soft? Oh, God's not. God doesn't care about us. He left us here down here to let whatever. Oh, trust me. 
One day is like a thousand, a thousand is like one day. We will. If you're a pre-trib, post-trib, maybe if you're pre-trib, you won't be here. But I believe if the tribulation happens in my lifetime, I will be here. And we will see the wrath of God poured out like never before. And God will protect his people. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But now, you yourselves, not God, not Jesus, you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger. So here's the things we're going to put off. Are you guys ready? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth paul's preaching to somebody here do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created so these are the things that you need to put off don't come don't come in my chat oh that's workspace just be quiet that do us all a favor and be quiet with that these are the things that you need to put off you need to put off anger which is continuing attitude of hatred wrath which is outbursts of anger, malice, which is ill will and desire towards others, blasphemy, which is showing contempt or lack of reverence towards God, filthy language, which is shameful and abusive language, including obscenities and dirty jokes and coarse jokes and just filth, you know, you know what filthy language is, okay? And lying, that's telling something that's not true. If I'm going very basic, but I'm helping somebody type one if I'm helping you, because if I'm not helping you, I'm helping me. I'm trying to make this thing right. I'm trying to live this thing out right lying is telling something that isn't true if you say something that is not true you are lying okay doesn't matter now there's a lot of preachers out here lying lying on god and lying on other preachers that guy is a false teacher you're a liar you just lied he's not a false teacher he's not you're a liar you literally lied so lying in our culture is not a big deal you lie on your boss you lie on your kids you lie on your wife no big deal just says i just said something it's not just lying to somebody hear me tonight it's not just lying to you oh I, I lied to my wife that's not the only realm of lying if you say something that isn't true you're lying you're lying if it wasn't true don't say it if it was i'm preaching strong if it wasn't true then shut your mouth because you're lying and paul says you need to put that away stop being like god deliver me from it uh, it's you don't need to get delivered of it you need to put it away put away lying and the word put off, put off is like taking off dirty clothes. When you get inside and you're out in the mud in the rain and you run inside, you hurry up and get off, take off all your jacket, and your dirty clothes. That's what Paul is saying. Hurry up, take it off, put it off. This is what Paul's relating to. Colossians 3.11, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ all and in all. So Paul's answering the question that you might ask, well, who's this for? The fullness, putting off throwing away, putting on, all the stuff you're talking, who's this for? Paul says, everybody, everybody. That's the answer. Everybody needs to do this. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. So now this is good. We've, and not me being, it's not Isaiah's good. It's this is good. Like literally you're like, he's so arrogant. He's keep saying this is good. No, this is good. I'm serving you up the Bible. The Bible is amazing. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on now what do we put on so we've taken all the dirty clothes off fornication lying slander blasphemy foulness passion the wrath of god we heard it all it's coming it's on the way out for delivery the order's been picked up okay we know now so what do we do now we do something we put on what do we put on tender mercies kindness humility oh this is crazy meekness long suffering bearing with one another forgiving one another if anyone has complained against each other, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. 
but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So we don't just put off, we put on. So let's go over what we're going to put on. Tender mercies, that is compassion. The ability to see someone's situation from their perspective, okay? Excuse me, one second. Kindness, that's serving others as if they're important. This includes being good to others. Imagine being kind. Like imagine just being nice for once. Like why are you always so mean? It, <sighs> Thank you, Lord. If you are a Christian, you're not allowed to be mean. Stop being a meanie head. Stop. Why are you mad all the time? Why are you mean to people? Why, why do you give terrible tips? Why are you rude to your waiter? Be nice. Be kind. It's like it's really not hard to just be nice. It's just, it's not hard. This is, this is not Isaiah telling you, Paul saying, you need to put this on. I'm just not a kind person. We know that. We literally all know that. We know you. We know you're not kind. So just put it on, please, because we know it's not in your nature. So these things are not in your nature. This is why you need to put them on. Put them on. Stop being mean. That means if you're in the car, stop being mean. Stop flipping people off. Stop cutting people off. If you're at the, if you're at restaurants, you don't get to be mean. Oh, it's cold. Stop sending your food back. You already got it back three times. It didn't come out the right way. There's nothing they can do. Just stop being so picky and just eat it. Well, just still, I wanted a little more pink. Who cares what you wanted? You're a Christian. Stop being rude. The person has like five other tables are trying to wait. Just because you're some guest speaker and you have a big following doesn't mean you can be rude to the waiter. So stop sending the food back. You're embarrassing all of us. Just eat the fries. Okay, eat the fries. So be kind. Someone said, I'm confused now. Don't be confused. Just be kind. It's not confusing. Paul says, put on kindness. You're not being kind. The waiters had a long day. They're working for $8 an hour. The last five Christian tables didn't tip them because Christians think that we shouldn't tip because we're Christian. You know, waiters say the absolute worst time to ever be a waiter is Sunday after church. Come on, guys. What are we doing out here? I'm, I am speaking to somebody. Kelsey said he is speaking to someone. I am. I'm speaking to you. We should be kind. Like, okay, I'm, I, I, I have time. This is free. I could stream for free. I'm not paying to be here, so I'm just going to keep going. If I'm driving and I see somebody broken down, if I'm not with my wife and kids on my way somewhere and I'm by myself, I will stop to help them. I, 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 I love pushing cars. I love when people break. I love helping. Why? It's just kindness. It's just being kind. If I see a guy that has a sign saying need food, hungry, I will give him the $20 in my thing every single time. I have a, st a stack of money in my middle thing and I give them 20s. I give them, go get some food. If I'm at In-N-Out and there's a hungry guy out there, I'm going to go get him food and bring him a food. Why? Because I'm kind. Because I put a, I don't say, there, well, you're going to go buy drugs, brother. And I know that I know what you're out here trying to panhandle. I don't really care. The Bible says to give to strangers because you might be an angel. So, hey, you might look like a homeless guy to me, but you might be an angel in reality. So I'm just going to be kind and give you the 20. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to blow in this. Make sure you're not drunk. Well, you know, maybe do a little drug test on you first. No, I'm just going to be kind. I just love people. I just want to be around people. I just like everybody. I'm just kind. If I'm in line, I'm going to buy the groceries behind me. If I could do it, I'm going to do it because I'm kind. If I'm at the the drive, the drive through, whoever's behind me, they're getting paid for. If I have the money, I'm going to pay for it. Why? Just spread it all around and be kind. These are just things that we do as Christians. If you want to know what is kindness, that's kindness. Stop being so grumpy. Why are you, why is everyone afraid of you at work? It's like, oh man, she's in a bad mood. She didn't have her coffee. Guess what? I'm kind before my coffee. That, that's, that's where it's at. It's be kind. Okay. Humility. Number three, humility. 
This is having the correct assessment of yourself. This is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what it is. So it's not like I'm this little weak man of God and nobody loves me and I'm just a failure. I'm not, I don't get on here every stream and give you all my insecurities and tell you how lame I am. A lot of guys do that because they think that's humility. That's not humility. That's lame. That's called false humility. Humility is when I prefer others above myself and I think of you more than I think of me. Not thinking less of myself, thinking of myself less. That's humility. Okay. And then one person said in the classical Greek, humility was disparaged as only referring to a servant. It was not a positive term. Christians use it in a positive way for the first time as something to be admired and sought after. Humility was not good in the Greek world, but now as Christians, humility is good. It's serving people. It's washing feet. Humility is not sitting on a throne being worshiped. Humility is washing feet. Oh, there's the thing again. I, have, I literally feel like I have to sneeze, but I can't sneeze. And it's been here for like a day. So pray that I sneeze. That would be just beautiful. Like if I just sneeze, it would be awesome. Okay. Number four, meekness. This is the ability to have righteous anger about the right things. It comes from being God controlled, not controlled by anger. So I'm meek. I do get angry, but at the right things. Oh, I'm about to sneeze. Hold on. Oh, there it's gone. Okay. Long suffering. This is patience that expects more than a person is, that doesn't expect more than a person is able to give. Patience, long suffering. This means this. If you are an EGR, that's an extra grace required person. You're a hard person to deal with. That's what we call you, extra grace required for you. And you're just like really getting on my nerves. And I've just spent months and months. We've done deliverance with you. We prayed for you. We've sat with you. We're answered the same questions. Why do you keep asking the same things? And why do you want deliverance again? I'm so tired of doing deliverance on you. And why and every week you're going back and forth and you're out in the world and you're back in church and the pastor keeps telling me to disciple you. Oh man, God, give me long suffering. Give me long suffering because this person is literally making me suffer long. I'm not kidding. That's literally what long suffering is. I can suffer for a long time. It's this patience that I'm able to just keep pushing, keep suffering with you and giving you that kindness. Okay, bearing with one another, that is being willing to be friends with people that are not always friendly. I'm able to bear with you. Even though I was like, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say I have to really like you, but I will bear with you and I, I love you, but I don't have to like necessarily like you. And so I'm bearing, I'm bearing with you. I'm staying friends with you. I'm still connected, even though there's times where I just can't stand you. I'm bearing with one another. And then lastly, forgiving one another. Now, all these things I'm mentioning, these are not options. These are not like, well, if you feel it, these are commandments. Paul says, put these things on. They're not natural. You don't want to do them. You need to put these things on. So understand Paul is not giving us an option. He's like, if, if you're in the mood, no one wants to do most of these things. Nobody knows. Some people are kind. I really love people. Like some of you, you really just don't love people, like people. And that's, you have to put it on. You have to put it on because you don't want it. You don't like it. You got to make it yourself. I don't really have to put on because some of these, because I literally love people. I just love people, but long suffering. I have to put on some of you just, I got to be long meekness, humility, bearing with one another, forgiving. These are things you have to put on. And the reason why they're not natural is because a lot of these, you just don't, you just don't feel it. So you got to put it on Colossians 3, 15, 3, 15 through 17. We're almost done. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you're called in one body and be thankful. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So, and all you do, here's what I want to point out on this. Whatever you do, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Like literally everything, going to work, going to school, raising a family. I'm doing this in Jesus' name. I'm doing this in Jesus' name. I'm doing this in Jesus' name. It doesn't have to be holy. It might be something that's just making a coffee. I'm going to do this in Jesus' name. And all I do, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. Colossians 3.18. Wives. Uh-oh. Have I already been controversial enough tonight? Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let me say that again. Wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, no, no, hold on. I said it wrong. I actually literally, I actually literally said it wrong. Colossians 3.18. Let me start over. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Own, O-W-N, own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Notice he said, submit to your own husband. One issue we have in church is we have women, wives, submitting to other people's husbands, but not their own. What are you doing? You go to church, you're like, well, so-and-so's husband said this or does this. That's not who you're supposed to be submitting to. Submit to your own husband. If you want to cause drama, I'm helping somebody tonight in Jesus' name. If you want to cause drama in your marriage, submit to someone else's husband. Obey someone else's husband. Do what they say you should do. Like you come home like, well, the pastor said, well, guess what, honey? I'm the pastor when you get home, <laughs> okay? I'm your husband. Your Bible doesn't say to submit to the pastor's wife's husband, which is the pastor. It says submit to your own husband. So pastor might say it that way or do it that way, but you need to submit to me. And this is not a domineering or ungodly way because I'm going to show you this. This is submitting to your own husband. And the men are saying, preach on. One commentator said this. I'm going to let a commentator be controversial because, you know, you can't be mad at him. Today, submission is lived out as practically as when a husband and wife discuss everything and come to a mutual decision. But if they can't decide on the decision to be made, then the husband has the option of taking the step that he feels is best. This is where the wife puts on her new Christian clothing of compassion, love, kindness, and humility. Don't forget patience and trust God enough to surrender her own agenda to her husband that doesn't make it easy, but believing God can do anything, even change your husband's perspective, can strengthen her to all over to the Lord. Okay, very basic. How how does a godly woman, like let, let's use my wife for example, okay? I'm getting hot, hold on. It's getting hot here. How does my wife, because I am I am like not a uh, not a domineering husband. And when I say all that, say like I'm, I gotta be careful where I go with this. I'm low maintenance in the sense that like some guys are high maintenance in the sense where they're like, I need to have my food cooked. I need to have the house clean. I need to have this. I literally could care less. I don't even eat. So I don't, I don't care about having food and this. My wife will cook and I don't even eat it. So she's like, why do I even cook? You don't even eat when I cook. So she's just, my wife's in the chat laughing. So I'm going to tread lightly. Hold on. I'm going to walk very tiptoe, very carefully. I, I literally though, for real though, like I don't, I don't care about eating. So I'm not this like, oh, I need to have food cooked. Oh, I need to have the house clean. We got four kids, y'all. So we clean the house and then and 30 minutes later, it looks like a tornado hit it. It looks like a college dorm room. I'm not a, I am not a over dominating high maintenance husband in that sense. So what would submission look like to my wife and I? How does, how would my wife submit to me? My wife submits to me when we have a decision to make, whether it's a financial decision whether it's a decision with our kids, whether it's a decision with the church or ministry, okay? We have a decision to make and she has what she wants to do. I have what I want to do. Now, 90 plus percent of the time, Alyssa, where are you? Let me know if I'm lying here. 
90 plus percent of the time, my dad's here, my mom's here, everyone's in the chat, so okay? 90 plus percent of the time, we agree on what we should do, okay? And you know, she always agrees with me. That's the, seriously though, most of the time we agree. We agree, like, hey, that's the right thing, let's do it. But, or let's say 95%, maybe she could put the percentage, whatever she thinks. The Everyone's looking for her now. The other percent time where my wife's like, no, I don't think we should do it that way. I'm just like, well, we're going to do it anyways. Because I'm the husband, I'm the head of the house, according to the Bible. And she submits to me. My wife said 98. Okay. My wife, not me, said 98% of the time she agrees with the decision or I agree with her decision, whatever. Okay. So we agree with each other. So 2% of the time she doesn't agree with me. Uh, the decisions we're going to make, I, I make the decision. So 2%, I make the decision. We're going to do this. I know you don't like it. I know it's not right what, to you, whatever, pray about it, but you're going to submit to this because I'm the husband and you're the wife. So she submits to me willingly. Okay. So that's what Paul in a practical sense is in humility, submitting to decisions. And this is again, that godly, godly situation going here. Okay. Yet because Paul clarifies that she is to submit as fitting to the Lord. But this is what the commentator is saying. Paul clarifies as is fitting to the Lord. So there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's limits to her submission. So ladies, don't freak out. You're like, well, no, no. What about us? Watch. There's limits to your submission. Women should never submit or agree to something that the Bible speaks against or that is immoral or wrong. So if you have a, un, uh, you have a husband that's not saved, you don't submit to him if he's telling you to sin or do something wrong or against your convictions. He's like, hey, just smoke this. It's all good. You need to submit. No, because it has to be as is fitting in the Lord. Ladies, type one if you're glad I just said that. Has to be as is fitting in the Lord. It can't be against the will of God, can't be against the word of God, can't be immoral, and can't be wrong. We're not talking about, I want to, I want to try this new thing and you don't want to do it and we're going to do it anyway. That is not submission. That's illegal. Let me just say that because there's kids listening. That's not what we're talking about here, ladies. We are talking about as is fitting in the Lord. If it's fitting in the Lord and you can't make a choice, submit and let your husband make the choice, okay? Some good verses about marriage. Genesis 2.18, husbands and wives need each other as God designed it. Genesis 2.24, God designed husband and wives to be one flesh. Matthew 19.4-9, God does not want divorce, but men sinfully choose this way. 1 Corinthians 6.18 and Hebrews 13 and 4, God wants every spouse to stay true sexually and emotionally to their own spouse. 1 Corinthians 7.3-5, neither spouse should refuse sexual satisfaction unless by mutual agreement for the purposes of fasting and prayer. It is a sin to withhold sexually from your spouse unless it's for the purpose of fasting or prayer. So there's that. Colossians, we're almost done. 319. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. So it, if your wife doesn't do something you want her to do, don't be bitter towards them. She's your wife, not your maid. I'm going to let that one sink in for a minute. I'm going to pause there. If your wife doesn't do something you want her to do, don't be bitter towards her. She's your wife, not your mom and not your maid. Okay, so our wives are not maids. They are our help mates. They're not there so that they can clean, cook, and do all that. Now, that's a role of the wife. I'm Listen, I'm traditional, y'all. My wife's a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home wife. She does not need to go out and work. I will provide for the family. I'll go hunt, and I'll go, you know, take my spear and go kill the meat and bring home the meat and bring home, go fish, bring home the fish to the family, provide, build a roof, you know, build a thing. I'm that type traditional. That's, what, that's how I roll. That's how I roll. But... My wife also is not my maid. She's also not my mom. She's also not there. God did not put her there so that she can clean up all my dirty laundry so that I could sit around and do nothing and play video games and watch TV all day. 
You're over there like, I don't know why my wife's so lazy, and you play Call of Duty six hours a day playing Warzone. You're dropping in to Warzone every day, and your wife's like, I wish you would drop in over here and give me some love and take out the trash and do something. You're like, you know, well, it's my day off. Well, you know what? She hasn't had a day off in like five years since you, since she, since you had kids. You know, the thing about stay-at-home moms is, I'm scoring so many points tonight. That's all I could say. The thing about stay-at-home moms is they don't ever get time off. They literally never get time off. At least you get to go to work for eight hours, come home, and get some time off. She's still out there cooking, still out there cleaning, still out there chasing around the kids 24-7. The kids don't have an off button. So just maybe have some compassion. Maybe jump in. Be like, you know, I'm not going to jump into Call of Duty. I'm not going to drop in on Warzone and see if I can kill 90 other people or whatever it is. I'm going to drop in and wash some dishes. You know what I'm talking about? You want to get dirty. You don't need to drop into Warzone. You can drop into the kitchen and do something. Guys, you can. I'm helping y'all. I'm helping y'all tonight. Hour and a half, 20 minutes I've been preaching. I hope, I hope somebody gives tonight. Okay, I'm not taking up an offering yet, but I hope somebody gives to this tonight. You can wash dishes. You can vacuum. You can change diapers. I have changed thousands of diapers. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. I still have a sense of smell. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to poison you. You literally had the kid. You had the kid. So if you could do all the dirty things you had to do to get there to get the kid you can wash dishes you can clean you can change diapers now my wife doesn't ever have me wash the dishes but i'll vacuum i'll change diapers i'll clean whatever whatever i'm not i'm not i'm not enough i'm not a college kid where i'm like oh, i can't clean my room we need to grow up i'm preaching to somebody that's why i'm preaching this we need to grow up and be like no i can do this i'm a man if i was big enough to get her pregnant i'm a big enough of a man to help with the baby and to get up and to do whatever i got to do and change the diaper I don't know what's up with these guys out here that are just lazy boys out here. Colossians 3.20. Now we're going to go from men. We're going to go from women, then talking to men. And Paul's going to hit the kids now. Colossians 3.20. Children, all of you kids, listen up here. Don't make me put the bird on screen. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing the Lord. Kids, you need to obey your parents in all things. Not the things that you agree with or like. Just obey them. If they say no, it's no. If they say yes, it's yes. If they say stop, stop. Don't make them shout and yell and tell you 30 times. Obey your parents. God loves this. It's pleasing to God. Underage kids, obey your parents. Overage kids, honor your parents. That's what the Bible teaches. In all things, in all things. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And this means like don't take advantage of the fact that they have to obey you and discourage them. And one commentator said some of the ways you can discourage them is expecting out of them more than they can accomplish, expecting them to behave perfectly, expecting them to perform perfectly and not giving them credit for their sincere efforts, overreacting to things your kids say and do, doing uh, doling out harsh punishments like spanking and anger or making consequences bigger than, than they should, not giving your kids respect and being courteous to them, saying th thank you and please, and neglecting them, um, refusing to ask for forgiveness from your child. I believe in spanking, by the way, but I don't believe in spanking in anger. We don't, that's abuse. We don't spank in anger. We spank in love. So we don't spare the rod and spoil the child here. We fully believe in spanking. I was spanked. I turned out okay. We fully believe in that, but we don't spank in anger. That's abusive and that discourages the kid. It discourages them. So don't spank in anger, spank in love. I'll, we'll do a video on this if you want. You know, spank your kid. And then after you hug him, you love him, you kiss him. You know, daddy did this because he loves you, because he cares about you. And because what you did was wrong, don't do it again or you're going to get spanked again. So again, we have this soft generation like, oh, don't spank the kids. You're going to hurt them. We all survive. We all made it. No one's ever died from getting a spanking. The Bible says you will not kill your kid if you physically spank them. You will not kill them. And the Bible says you hate your kids if you don't discipline them. And that's a whole nother 
thing. Okay, here we go. Colossians 3.22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And this is talking about these basically maids. They were living bond servants that were hired like a modern day maid. They weren't like slaves like we that that is now illegal to have. It was bond servants. Colossians 3, 23 to 25. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you receive towards to reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ, but he does wrong, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality, okay? So there it is, Colossians 1 through 3. And then chapter 4, I was going to read it, but we have been live for an hour and 40 minutes already. And I want to hang out and talk with the chat and read donations. So I will not read it, but you can read it as your homework. It's just Paul's goodbye letter. There's really no nothing for me to explain in it. So I will not read it, but let us pray now. And then we'll hang out and talk. That was an hour and 23 minutes of teaching there. Hope you enjoyed that. We're going to pray. And then we are going to open up for donations and we'll read donations and we'll talk, hang out, chat, have some fun, all that good stuff. Chapter four, read this. That's your homework assignment. It's only a few verses. It's just a goodbye letter from Paul. It's not hard to read. Not much for me to explain. Father, we pray tonight, Lord, that we would obey everything you've called us to do. Father, I pray tonight that we would take off all the evil, corrupt things that you've commanded us to take off in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we'd be children of the light. I pray, Lord, that we would work hard to do everything you've called us to do. We'd come against every false teaching that would confuse us, that would delude us, that would cause confusion. I pray right now, Lord, breakthrough over every single person in the chat right now. Lord, help us men to love our wives better. Help our, our, our wives to submit. Help our children to obey their parents. I pray, Lord, that you would break off disobedience from parents tonight in Jesus name. I pray, I'm, I'm sorry. I pray you'd break disobedience off children tonight. Oh, I am parents too. In Jesus name. I pray Lord that right now you'd help us to be better Christians. I pray for all of those that are sick in body. I know like the flu is going crazy. I know so, so many people with the flu right now. I just pray healing right now over your house, over my dad's house, over my family's house, over my house. We come against all flu, all sickness, all disease. We command it to leave our houses now. Our houses will be places of wholeness and healing, not of sickness and flu. Right now, I pray healing over the flu. Every single person that has the flu, every person sick in body, I pray right now, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Right now, every person that has the flu, be healed in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, right now, just move over every person. Bring wholeness, bring restoration, and bring healing right now in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, do what only you can do. Power of the Holy Spirit fire of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit. Right now, just be released in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Touch every single person watching. Bring healing and wholeness. Bring revival. Bring deliverance. Bring fire of God right now. Repentance right now. Just touch bodies. Fevers, we command you to go. You know, the Bible says they laid hands on people that had fevers and they were healed. So I pray right now that the fevers would go in Jesus' name. Fevers would go in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Touch bodies right now. Touch bodies right now. Sickness must go. Sickness must go. Healing in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, touch bodies right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I pray this word would not go on bad soil, but would land on good soil tonight. It would land on good soil of people's hearts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way. In your name we pray, amen.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content and please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.